want to say good day to you. I'm Joel, and it's good to be able to be with you. Um, let's go ahead and begin with this uh, before I jump into the Word of God this morning. If you are a man, please stand up. Um, let's go get a cheeseburger. Anybody in for that right now? Let's go. Um, with bacon, yes. Yeah, like if you say no bacon, just sit back down, you know what I mean? Um, and anyway, June 9th and 10th, we have a men's conference coming. Sign up today. Like let God continually transform you. And I'll tell you now, if you're an older gentleman, God needs to still transform you. And we need you there to honestly be an example and a witness to the younger men. And younger men, make it a priority. And if you say, well, it's going to be nice weather that weekend, I don't give a rip. We're going to learn about Jesus. Amen. Bring a friend, maybe not two, because we won't know what to do with them in terms of where to put them, but we'll figure it out. Yes? Maybe seated. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. I tell you, the men in this church, we got some remarkable men, and you're some of them, and God is working, and God is using you guys. So thank you for that. I certainly appreciate it. And if you're new here, you're going, like, how about the women? They just had, you just had a women's conference. You get to wait till next time. Um, Recently, I had a kid of mine come to me, and he's like, um, I'm not going to give you a name, but he's my youngest, who's 11. Um, and he said, Dad, I just think you're getting old. Somebody just said, amen. Get out. Get out. <laughs> like, really? Um, and I said, well, son, thank you. Um, and so I called my attorney. He is no longer in the inheritance. Um, and, uh, but I'm getting old. Here's one of the things I've learned as I've gotten old. Dur. As I've gotten older. 49. As I've gotten older. Um, did you know that the relationship that you have with something will impact the way you hear them? Right? That makes sense. The relationship that you have with someone will impact the way that you hear them. So if, if you've got somebody who's speaking into your life, you've never, you've just seen them passing by. It's a colleague at work. You work maybe at a firm or at a hospital or a school and you don't know everybody, but you, you have the familiar faces and somebody, they walk up and they say, hey, listen, I know we don't really know each other, but, right? I, I saw what you did. I don't think that you should have right away, your posture probably, unless you're just like, truly like of Jesus completely, is probably going to be a little bit of, of defensiveness, right? Like, who are you to come and tell me that what I'm doing isn't right? Because that relationship isn't there. It's not established to be able to speak such words. But if somebody comes to you and says, right, maybe, and that's, by the way, it's the same as with marriage. If you're in a really good relationship with your spouse, they should be able to come to you out of respect and say, hey, Honey, I heard you say such and such and blah, 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 blah. And you go, hey, thank you. It's not what I intended at all or whatever it is, but thank you for that. But if you're not in a good relationship and you've got some strife in your marriage, if you're married and you've ever had any type of strife, say amen. amen. All right. Like we all have it. That's my point. It's okay. Because we're all human. We're all sinners. We've all, we're all broken, but God can redeem anyone from anything at 
anytime. We know that that includes everything we're going to talk about today. But if somebody comes to you, they should be able to say, hey, honey, such and such. And you're really, you're good with it. But if you're not in a good relationship in your marriage right now, if you're not in a good place, they're like, hey, why did you do such and such? And you're like, why are you always on my case? That's what happens. Friends, it is no different with God. Your understanding of who God is and the relationship that you have with God will impact the way that you hear from God and even the way that you absorb the teaching of his truth. So if you're in a relationship in which, imagine like this, you've got a friend who they recognize that if they don't do something radical, your whole family's going to die. So they give their son's life for you. Does that make you hear them differently when they come up and say, hey, by the way, yes or no? Yeah. Well, that's what God did for you. He said, you got no hope without me. All this making the, the, you know, everything going back to Passover and offering the sacrificial lambs and paying the, do, the dues and the debt all the time. It's not, it's not what I want for you. And so he gave his son to pay the price of our sin. And he said, so he said, here, well, that's the relationship. So when you look at the heavenly father in that light and go, yeah, he is a God of justice, he, but he's also a God of mercy and he's a God of grace and he's a God of love and he'll overwhelm you. All of a sudden you absorb the teaching of his word differently. But if you think he's just as God of wrath and judgment and hate and like you better, right? Then all of a sudden you're like, who is this guy? Your hearing of the word of God is largely dependent upon the type of relationship you have with God. And it's certainly going to be the case today as we dive into some pretty heavy stuff. The relationship that you have with someone will determine how you hear them, how you listen to them. And today's passage is far easier for someone who's already surrendered to the authority of Jesus Christ. It is a hard topic today for someone who has not given authority to Jesus. I'm just gonna let you know. One of the other reasons we struggle with this is because we don't think of ourselves the way that God thinks of us. The, the reality is God thinks far more of you than you think of yourself. Right? Anybody else like that? I'm, I'm the guy who always sits in what I did wrong. And I, I'm always battling that. I'm handing that to Jesus every day, right? Uh, in, in the first service, I said the wrong name at, at one point. And of course, that's what everybody tells me about is, you know that you said that? I'm like, I know. Um, literally tomorrow, it doesn't matter what God does today. I'll have to fight to celebrate what God did today because I'll be like, man, I can't believe I got that wrong. Anybody else that way? Live in the grace of God. He loves you. He cares for you. But today we have to evaluate the relationship we have with him because of how we may hear him. Why? Because today's topic, here's a sermon, the idolatry of sexuality. Now you better believe I woke up this morning at 545 pumped to preach that. The idolatry of sexuality. But we don't add to scripture. We certainly don't remove from scripture. We're in a series right now called Restore in 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter six and we get to walk through this together today. Let's start with this. I'll throw out some other passages as well. I don't expect for you to turn in, these, uh, in the Bible to these places just because of time, but if you would write them down, it may benefit you. First one is Leviticus chapter 18, one through five. 
Leviticus chapter 18, one through five, just what it says. It says, hey, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel. Those are the people of God. Speak to them and say, I am the Lord, your God. Everybody say, I'm the Lord, your God. He says, don't do like they do in the land of Egypt. I know that you live there. How long did they live there? 400, 400 years. I know that you live there for 400 years, but I, want, I don't want you to be like the people of Egypt. In fact, I don't want you to be like the people of Canaan where I'm sending you. Leviticus chapter 18, one through five, that's what he says. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. Don't act like them. Simply because they're doing something doesn't mean that you should be doing something. The definition of weakness is simply mimicking those around you without evaluating what God has asked of you. He says, I am the Lord, your God. One more time. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So today we get to talk about what Paul is communicating to the people of Corinth through the word. And it's this idolatry that they had of sexuality. Now, before we even go any further, I want to give you three names that will help you understand why we are in crisis. Now, society after society after society has gone through crisis of sexuality. Right now, um, I'll give you, I'll go back about 170 or so years to someone by the name. I'll give you three names. Might want to write them down. All right. First name I'll give you, Darwin. Ever heard of him? You're going, well, that's just evolution. Oh, and it greatly impacts our understanding of self. I'll give you a cheat sheet of what Darwin believes. He believes that there's a variation within species that occurs randomly and that the survival of any organism is simply based on their ability to adapt to their environment. And the long story made very short, we're all animals, so we're going to act accordingly. At some point, it doesn't really matter because we're all just animals. We're going to act how animals act. So I'll give you an illustration of that. Anybody of you have a pet lion? No, but I haven't gotten any yeses yet. If you, let's just act like you have a pet lion. You say, hey, I got a pet lion. You want to come hang out with him? I'm going to say, no. I know I'm that guy, but I'm not that guy. Why? Because like if someone says, oh, don't worry, he's tame. I'm still going, yeah, but he's still a, yeah, I'm not doing it. He's still a wild animal. And so now everybody's just going to assume this is what it does is that, hey, you're we're all animals. We're going to just respond however we respond in the end. So it doesn't really matter. And nothing can hold any type of morality over us. That's Darwin. Freud. Second name. Here's what Freud says. Human behavior is influenced by thoughts and urges. And we primarily, not only, but primarily operate from our unconsciousness. All psychosis is actually due to sexual frustration of wanting to act out your own urges, your own desires. So he started to teach that. One more name that um, has greatly impacted us, more than you probably recognize, Hugh Hefner. He's not with us anymore, but uh, Hugh Hefner. What's he known for? How do you know that? Hmm. I'm just kidding. That was like a test. <laughs> I was like, that was a test and some of you failed. Uh, all right. Hugh Hefner had a little magazine that he put out there called Playboy. 
what that did, and, and I can't believe in, in, the, in the huge women's movement that we have in feminists and all this kind of thing, that they haven't wanted to take him out and just do things to him. Yes, he passed away in 17. But I just, because what he says really is that women exist for male's lust. It's hedonism. That's what that did. Now, all of these had enormous impact on our society. Why? Because it let people do what they wanted to do with no understanding of that there's consequence. Hey, I can act out my own desires. I can act out in my own flesh, whatever I desire to do, because there's no repercussions, no consequence for that. So those three understandings are vital for us because why? We're just animals anyway at the end of it. And we really are just going to live according to our unconscious. And women are just here for male's lust anyway. And so, hey, whatever goes, goes. You're following me so far. Big names, important. There is no creator, right? So we just do whatever we want to do. In fact, I would argue you cannot believe in Darwin that there is no, and that we just came from animals and still say you claim to believe in God. I don't understand that. The created has to have a creator. So here's a big idea that you're going to get today is that we know that transformation is a continual process, but the gospel transforms our understanding. Here's the big idea. The gospel transforms our understanding of sexuality. Something that we have just given over to the world, given over to other people, but the gospel transforms our understanding. It's to transform our understanding of sexuality. That's a big idea that you're going to hear today. And if your Christian faith does not transform your sexual practices, you're likely still worshiping idols. Now, you can go, well, how is that an idol? An idea becomes an idol when you begin to live by it and you give more priority to that than you do to God. That's the definition of an idol. So if you're living according to those practices and you give greater authority to that than you do to the word of God, then that's an idol. So you're either living according to Christ or you're living according to idols. It's one of the two. You can go, well, I'm an exception to the rule. No, you're not. We're all that, that way. And so now we dive in to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. Are you ready for the word of God? Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. Already you're like, man, I'm glad I'm here today. If it's underlined, if you would please read that out loud and I'll take care of the rest of it. Here we go. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Now we're going to get into that more, but just because it's legal doesn't make it biblical. Amen. We can go throughout history and learn that lesson. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of the prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We 
Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with the price. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I'm going to break this up in this understanding of the gospel transforming our understanding of sexuality. I'm going to break it up into three primary sections, 12 through 14, 15 through 17, 15 through 17, and 18 through 20, just to help you out. Three primary sections are going to fall under that. So as you take notes, some of you are always like, hey, can you tell us, blah, blah, blah. Here you go. Three sections. Here's the first thing we learned, 12 through 14. First thing that we learned, our bodies are to be used by God. Our bodies are to be used by God. You're going, that sounds weird. Let me unpack the message and then you're going to understand why. Our bodies are to be used by God and we must not be deceived. We are to allow our hearts to be informed by the word, not by the world, not preferences. And one of the things he's going to address here is that our bodies are to be used by God. And that means that grace, and you've heard it many times if you've ever gone to church before, grace is never a license to sin. Grace is never like, oh, because I have the grace of God, I can do whatever I want. Friends, anything that you have done. God can redeem anyone from anything without a doubt. But that means you have sincerely come before God and you have repented of it and say, God, I have come short of your glory. We know that from Romans, but we know that you can redeem anyone. And so I come before you. We know that the wages of sin is death, Romans, but God restores. But if you come before God and he knows if you're serious, if you're genuine in your repentance, So if you always do whatever you want to do and just go, I'll ask for forgiveness later on, he knows that you were never genuine in that repentance. So he's saying, hey, listen, our bodies are to be used by God, which forces us to ask this question, what or who is controlling your body? What or who is controlling your actions? What or who is controlling your thoughts? One of the things that I told you already is legal doesn't mean biblical, but another thing for you to understand is permitted doesn't mean beneficial either. Simply because something is permitted doesn't mean that it is beneficial. In both 1 Corinthians 5 and chapter 6, Paul is bringing up this issue of sexual conduct within Corinth and with the Christians there, because why? Remember, he's writing to Corinth, it's on this this little territory of land, seas on both sides, lots of sailors coming into it. And remember, they worship sexual idolatry and I mean, sexual idolatry in so many different facets that over a thousand prostitutes, remember all this, would come down every night so that all these sailors and other people could have their way. That mentality had infiltrated the body of believers. Well, we can kind of do whatever we want, sexually speaking. It doesn't really matter what I wanted. You know, like I, it doesn't matter. There's no consequence. So we're going to be able to do anything that we want to do. So he's addressing this problem in the Corinthian church. It reminds me of Colossians chapter two. Paul's writing to Colossae, uh, Colossae and he's writing there in Colossians chapter two, verse 16 through 17. Another one for you to write down, Colossians two, 16 through 17, where he says, when it comes to what we eat or drink or the day that we worship, all things are lawful for me. I'm at liberty to do whatever I want, but I'm really not here to do whatever I want. That's what he's saying. Grace isn't a license to do anything you desire to do. Otherwise, it is Freud. You're just going to live based on your desires and you are an animal. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And so here, we're learning something very different. Because the Corinthians, 
the people who are believers in Corinth were using their liberty as a license to sin. And it seems that they thought that they had a liberty to use their services with prostitutes and anything else simply because that was culturally acceptable in the community in which they lived. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I'm not gonna be dominated by anything. Food's meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. God's gonna destroy both one and the other. The body and, and the stomach is different than the sexual activity. We'll get into that. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The body is meant to honor God. So our bodies are to be used by God. And yes, there's a difference between appetites for food and an appetite for sex. They're not the same. Foods for the stomach, stomach for the foods, but God's gonna destroy both. And we see the power of God's design for the body. We see the power of God's design for even sexual purity. When then we look at the problems of what it leads to. Friends, if you just, if you give your eyes to pornography, the likelihood of divorce in your life is more than double what it was. We know that it's just numbers, it's percentages. We know what they are. How many of you struggle with pornography? This many. Oh, why is it that the divorce rate's twice as high for them? because they've given their heart to something other than their spouse. The likelihood is people in this room right now are having an affair. Some of you, like just sheer numbers, are watching online. And some of you are going, well, I've never had an affair, but you're giving your eyes to other things. You're giving your heart away. Some of us, remember how Satan, right? Satan's a deceiver. He just wants us to take one small what? Step, one small step. So all of a sudden you're in a, you've got a colleague at work who's of the opposite sex and you're like, no, but they're just a good friend of mine, honey. I promise you it's just they're a good friend. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, why is, it, why is it that you, friend, understand me more than my spouse does right now? And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you want to grab a drink or some food after work? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I need to get home, but yeah, I, I really probably don't even want to go home right now. I'm fresh out with my spouse. And then it leads one thing to another, one small step. That's how Satan works. One small step. That's what, friends, I have so many rules in my life because my heart is to be for God and then for my wife, right? You already know these rules, a lot of them. I don't ride in a car with anybody of the opposite sex alone. We already know that. I don't let that, if somebody knocks on my door, come test me, come knock on my door this afternoon. If you're the opposite sex and nobody else is there, you're not getting in until my wife gets home. We can stand outside in the rain because one, it's just one small step. 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 And whatever you grow accustomed to will become normal. The more you incorporate it into your life, it matters. And we know that from this passage, the body is not for sexual immorality. Second, our sexuality impacts our union with Christ. Our sexuality impacts our union with Christ. It has to. It says, do you not know, 15 through 17, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. So because you are a body, a member of Christ, what you do with your body impacts the body of Christ. 
Remember, when you said yes to Jesus, knowing that the majority of you are believers, or at least claim such. So if you're claiming in a relationship with God, that means you've said, God, I'm so overwhelmed at what you've done in this relationship as a heavenly father that you would give your son. I know that your desires for me are different than my own desires for self, but I wanna live according to your will because I know that your plans are greater than my plans. I know that your design matters, but flesh would want me to live by desire. Flesh would want me to live by the world's understanding, but I'm not going to. And so you've surrendered to the authority of Jesus Christ. And that means that you understand that sexuality impacts your union with Christ. Certainly, I think some of the Christians in Corinth did not understand that. And they thought that their sexual conduct with prostitutes had no connection with other people, no connection to the relationship that they would have even with Jesus. But it does impact you. Right, one of the greatest lies out there is that sex is just a physical act. You, uh, we're, anybody who thinks that sex is just a physical act is so incredibly naive. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but we know from science that it impacts your emotions, it impacts your thinking, your emotional status. In fact, all of a sudden it introduces different types of depression and suicidal thoughts when it's not done within marriage because you start using it for the wrong things. You start using it for an identity and everything else in a very unhealthy manner. We know this. Science speaks about this even. And yet then at the same time, we hear this lie that sex is just a physical act. That there, there, Friends, there's no such thing as casual sex. In a sexual relationship, a husband and wife become one flesh under God's blessing. In sex outside of marriage, those people become one flesh outside of God's blessing. So our sexuality impacts our union with Christ and who we are with him. Third, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, third thing you have to understand is our body belongs to God. Now this will impact a lot of different things in your life. Well, my body is my own. I can do anything I want to it, right? Nope, not if you're a believer in Jesus. No, no, no. I'll say it in Spanish. No. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. This is what it says, 18 through 20. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Everybody say flee. flee. Everybody come up with a synonym for the word flee. Everybody got it? Synonym. Ready? On three, say it. One, two, three. A lot of runs, a lot of runs. So here's how I would say flee from sexual immorality. Imagine, okay, everybody's got a place that you live. You lay your head at night. So think about being in the bedroom, wherever you may live, apartment, doesn't matter, house, trailer, who cares? You're there and all of a sudden there's a fire. I'm not talking about the kind of fire where you go, I smell something. I'm talking about the kind of fire that you see the flames, the heat has already just burned all of your eyebrows off, right? your hair, like everything, the, it's, you're starting to like fry and you're like, I got to get out of here. So in that moment, do you either, I'm going to give you two choices, A or B. This is class participation. In that moment, flames are everywhere. The heat is burning you. It's bad. Like you smell your own hair burning. You ever done that before? I've done, okay. Um, so I, do you A, go, hey, let me grab a duffel bag and throw my underwear and socks in there or B, jump out the window. Yeah, B. Somebody said C. We got to talk. 
We got to talk. So yeah, you just get out. That's what it is to flee from sexual immorality. Now, please hear me say this. The dangers of sexual immorality, the dangers of what we have done to sexuality in our own life is no different than that fire. And we have been so flippant and reluctant to give it the authority and to question the things that we need to question. God is a creator. He has a design for us. When we live apart from that, we are introducing a fire into our lives. And we know that marriages are being destroyed. We know that families are being destroyed. We know that relationships are being crippled because we won't honestly identify the practices of sexual immorality in our life. It must stop for the believer. And you're going, well, but it's hard to talk about it. Friends, scripture is clear. If you stand for Christ, the world will hate you. So stop trying to be best friends with the world when Jesus says differently. We're to flee from sexual immorality. I think about Genesis chapter 39, 1 through 21. Joseph, Potiphar's wife. And he had to flee from sexual immorality. What did that lead to? What did it lead to? Prison. Now God restored, God renewed, God redeemed, but it led to hardship. Fair to say? Yes. But he said, no, I can't, I can't lay with you. I'm not doing it. So we're to flee from sexual immorality. God uses sex to powerfully bond a husband and wife together. But outside of that marriage, it is incredibly destructive. And my responsibility to God and to my wife is Hebrews 13, verse four, where it says that my marriage bed should remain undefiled, holy and blameless before God. And me giving my heart or giving my eyes to anything other than my wife is impure. It's unholy. And then he continues on. He says, hey, listen, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Your body is a temple. That's why I say your, our body belongs to God. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You're not your own. You're bought with the price. And a temple, what is it? It's a, it's a, a temple is a place that's sacred to God. And my thing is, I don't like this. This body belongs to God. I surrendered everything in my life to him. My heart, my mind, my selfish desires, everything is surrendered to God. So when you understand that, you don't want to do anything to pollute the temple. That can be sexuality, that can be gluttony, that can be all types of things in our lives. But this doesn't belong to me. 
This belongs to the God, the God of the universe. These eyes don't belong to me anymore. This heart doesn't belong to me anymore. I surrender to Jesus. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies belong to God, not to ourselves. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And as a result of that, I want to treat it even better than I would otherwise. I, I recently had to take a quick trip. And I was like, man, this stuff, I've got to, I had to pick up some stuff. My son was coming back from college. And I said, like, I got to grab some stuff. This stuff's not going to fit in my car. I'm going to have to get a U-Haul. What am I going to do? And so I was like, no, I'm just going to call my buddy. And I knew he would let me use his vehicle. Um, and uh, so I called him. I was like, can I use your car? He's like, sure, take it. I was like, oh, great. So I got back from the trip. And here's what I was doing. Is literally, I get back and I start washing his car. Like it had bugs on the front. I'm washing, I'm like running it through a car wash. Those car washes, none of them get the bugs off the front, right? And so I'm like scrubbing it. And then I was gonna take it through the car wash, which I did. I filled that thing up with so much gas. Like it was coming out, I'm, I'm filling it up. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning the floorboards, even in the back where we didn't, nobody even sat. And I'm going, I gotta clean this thing because it wasn't mine. I want it. Like I learned a lot about someone. If you borrow something and you don't return it better than when you got it, there's a problem. Anybody else raise that way? I wanna treat this knowing this isn't mine anymore. It belongs to God. It's his temple. And so I wanna treat this in respect. And what my eyes are given to, I wanna treat it with respect. I know that my marriage and the relationship that I have with my wife is one of the greatest witnesses that I have. And I will not defile that marriage bed. You have to just have that. I think you gotta have that fight in you. So I want to give you three questions to conclude with because we need friends. Some of you are going, really the idolatry of sexuality? Can we not have talked about something different today? We need to talk about this. We need to have these conversations, even as families. I'm hoping that this gives you conversation to have, a way to have it. So I'm gonna give you three questions to ask of your friends and your family. Call up a friend, a random friend today. Say, let's talk about sexuality, right? That'd be fun. Let me know how that goes via email. Three questions. How is the gospel transforming your understanding of sexuality right now? You need to ask that question. Remember, that was the primary thing that we have today is that the gospel transforms our understanding of, of sexuality. So how is the gospel transforming your understanding of sexuality? Second, are you fleeing from sexual immorality or moving towards it? You're doing one of the two. Like if you're ignoring it, you're going to end up losing to it because it'll become commonplace. Anything becomes common, it becomes more and more acceptable. We know this, we know this. So are you fleeing from it? Are you, do you have your protective measures? Are you doing what you need to do? Listen, I know that in my position, Listen, it takes one wrong interpretation or perception of who I am, of what I've done. And we know that's a bad day for, for, for this place, right? For any pastor. So I have so many protective measures. That's why my executive admin, guess what they are? They're men, 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even do it. They're like, this person could be amazing. I'm like, no, I, the people who travel with me are like, that's, this is the way it is. You can say, it's not fair. I'm going to protect my marriage in this ministry, period. We need to have the same posture for your own family. Last question, is your body the temple of idols or the Holy Spirit? Because if you've given yourself and your understanding of, of sexuality over to the world, those are idols. Or is this still a temple of the Holy Spirit? And again, I want to make sure as we conclude that you hear this. I know if I know the numbers, I know the percentages. Some of you are going, I just don't know how to even admit it to my wife or my husband that I'm addicted to pornography or that lust, or I'm in a relationship. I haven't done adultery yet, but it's, I feel like I've given my heart to something else and or someone else and I don't know how to do it. We will, we will, it'll be hard, it'll be ugly. I am telling you now, we spend more money in staff on counseling and discipleship in those areas than any other place because we wanna help you with it. We will help you with it. It will be hard, it could be ugly, but we want to see God renew and restore those relationships in your life. And God can redeem. There is always hope and there's always grace. Praise be to him. And so God, I'm praying for these brothers and sisters that they would have the courage, Lord, to surrender their bodies and their hearts and their minds, all of it to you, that they would surrender to you, that they would identify it with you more than anything else, that the right things would impact them and encourage them for your glory and for your honor. Amen.